are listening to the Sunday Sermon from Crossroads Bible Church in Bellevue, Washington. To learn more about Crossroads, visit us on our website at cbcbellevue.com. There's a great book out called Going Public with Your Faith. It's a book on work. And if you haven't read this book, I recommend it to you. It'll be really helpful for you in your work life. One of my favorite stories in this book is about a medical doctor named John. John had just started his practice, and there were the normal stresses of work, as you can imagine. But John and his wife also had their first child, and the child was born with spina bifida. And so they were going through stress and anxiety that was really unspeakable at this season of their lives. John's fellow workers knew that he was a believer in Jesus. They knew all the stress that he was under. And they also knew that he was making frequent trips to Texas Children's Hospital. And so everyone knew anyone would be a little tense, might be a little irritable or impatient, and yet, what people saw in John was he handled himself so well. He was so gracious. He was so humble. And he was always considerate of other people. Well, one particular day, a nurse made a terrible mistake. And it endangered a patient's life. John came in and he had to firmly reprimand this nurse. But he did so respectfully and graciously. So she was able to at least keep some of herself intact. This was a serious offense, even though it was unintentional. But John handled it as well as anyone could. What John was not aware of was another doctor overheard this conversation. And really, the firm rebuke. And this doctor grabbed John, touched his shoulder, and said, John, if you were a pastor, I'd attend your church. See, John is a preacher. You are preachers. We're also pastoring people's souls even through our work, our character, our competence, and our conduct, are preaching sermons to people who need to hear them. It's really through our lives, not necessarily always our lips, that people hear these sermons. You're a preacher. And the truth is, there's a bit of a distance between the pulpit and the pew, if you will. There's an elevated stage even. I don't prefer it, but it's the reality. In the workplace, there's true common ground. There is an even sense of being in the trenches together, doing the same thing, often in a very similar way. You're a preacher. And God would say, preach his word through your work. See, if you're an employer or a boss or even a manager, your fellow employees and even those that are supervisors like you, 
They're watching how you treat those that are under your care. You're a preacher. Preach God's word through your work. If you're an employee, your fellow employees, they're wanting to know, how do you speak about your boss? How do you speak about the place that has employed you? You're a preacher. Preach God's word through your work. If you're a stay-at-home parent, you probably are frequenting the park right now during the one or two sunny months of the year. Other stay-at-home parents, they're observing how you treat your children and even how you interact with their children. You're a preacher. Preach God's word through your work. If you're a volunteer serving at Crossroads, you're submitting to a ministry leader. You're being led by that leader. Your fellow church members and volunteers, they want to know how are you speaking about that leader? How are you speaking about the leadership of the church? How are you serving the church with excellence? You're a preacher. Even if your job is not to preach, people are observing your life. They're observing our lives. We're to preach God's word through our work. So how do we do this? Practically speaking, the book of Titus is going to tell us. So turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. The quickest way to find Titus is look for T books in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. If you're not familiar with Titus, the Apostle Paul wrote Titus. Titus was his son in the ministry. He led him to faith in Christ. He discipled him. And then he sent him to an island called Crete. Now, Crete was a place that you would not want to preach or pastor. It was really a difficult city. The people there were known to be lazy, irresponsible, and drunk. One of my favorite lines in Titus is found in chapter 1, verse 12. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. I mean, that's flat out hilarious. I mean, we would never want to say that about a local church, right? But yet this poet says it and Paul records it in the inspired book of Titus. Now, as difficult as this church was, Paul had a suggestion, really a command. In a difficult culture and in a difficult church, raise up leaders, chapter 1, verse 5, who have a given character and conduct and let them lead the church with excellence. That's one of the things every church should look for. Elders or ministry leaders those people of character, those people who have a godly conduct, because as the leadership of a church goes, so goes the church. Paul understood that, and he is training and discipling Titus to help this church be all that she can be. Now, it's interesting, after talking to ministry leaders in chapter 1, Paul segues in chapter 2 to talk about five different categories of people. And I love where he starts. Senior adult men. 
then segues to senior adult women, and then to young women, and then to young men, and then to workers or employees. Now, we're only going to take Paul's words to employees this morning. And some of you should be so excited because you may not like how much text I typically take on a Sunday morning to get us through the whole counsel of God's Word. So guess what? This morning, we're only taking two verses. Two meager verses. But boy, do they pack a punch. Paul is going to give us five character qualities that will enable us to preach God's Word through our work. So let's look at Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. In verse 9, we begin with our first character quality. We're to be compliant. Listen to what Paul says in verse 9. Urge or exhort, teach bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. Paul says that bond slaves or servants need to be urged to ultimately submit themselves on an ongoing basis to their employers in everything. Now, to unpack this a bit, last Sunday, we discussed Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 41. And I spent a lot of time talking about the relationship between slaves and masters. We talked a lot about how there's not necessarily the same situation with employers and employees. However, there is application that emanates from these principles. I'm not going to return to explain in great detail that the Apostle Paul did not seek to do away with slavery. The congregations that he was writing to in the first century in the Roman Empire, over 50% were slaves. Some estimates are up to 70%. So Paul would speak and write to congregations that were slaves. The one thing I will say, though, is there is a difference between first century Roman slavery and the abuses of 17th, 18th, 19th century American slavery and the atrocities committed against our African-American brothers and sisters. With that said, slavery is never good. It never ultimately honors God. But what we need to take is this. Paul is writing to masters and slaves and he's saying to them, you can honor God in those positions in a way that preaches God's word. If that was true of first century Roman masters and slaves, how much more so would that be true of 21st century American volunteer employees? I mean, we voluntarily offer ourselves. Yes, we're paid, but we're not bound. And we also don't need to remain in a particular job. So let's just understand that and try to see how this is relevant to our daily lives. This use of to be subject, the tense and the voice simply mean 
to subject oneself. Now, this is important because most people don't like what's called the Christian S word. It's like an expletive. Submit. No, no one likes that. I've seen people walk out of church when pastors have mentioned the command to submit. But comply? That accomplishes the same thing. Think of it this way. If you like mixed martial arts or wrestling, you understand that there are submission holds that can compromise your opponent. Biblically speaking, we're commanded to submit voluntarily as a means of honoring the Lord. So just think of it as placing yourself under the authority of another. We all do that. I do that with the elders of Crossroads. You do that in other spheres of your life, whether it's work, home, various places in the community where we serve as volunteers. Submission is a way of life. But understand we are to be compliant with our employers. That's really what Paul is arguing. And in verse 9, he says we are to do so in everything. He's going to repeat this same Greek phrase in verse 10, and how we preach God's Word through our work, and he says, in every respect. So these two verses are really bracketed by this idea, do everything you do in all things as a means of honoring God and honoring your employer. Very straightforward and simple. Now, you may be saying, Keith, but you don't know my boss, and you don't know my workplace. I mean, it's easy for you to be compliant and submissive because the elders and your fellow staff, they're perfect in every way. And besides, Keith, I mean, you're paid to study the Bible and drink coffee all day. And you only work one day a week anyway on Sunday. So you can't relate to my world. See, I'm not going to make the mistake that some pastors do and say, oh, yes, I can. I work harder than you. It's more difficult what I do. No, furthest thing from it. I'm not going to say that. It's a privilege and a pleasure for me to be here at Crossroads. Our family feels the same way. We love it. If we could do this job for free, we would. Just don't tell anyone that, okay? <laughs> I know your job is hard. I know you work with difficult people. I know you're mistreated and disrespected. I get all of that. But the truth is this. We're all under attack in our workplaces. Even our staff and elders are under attack. You know why? Because the church is God's promised vessel to change the world. It's His plan A, and there isn't a plan B. So anyone who volunteers in the church or is paid by the church is constantly under spiritual attack. But let's go further. All of you are in full-time Christian ministry. We have said that from the first week of our sermon series. It is not that paid staff are in full-time Christian ministry. It's that we all are because we've argued work is worship, and everything we do represents the Lord to a community that desperately needs Jesus. So we preach God's Word through our work. So if you're having difficulties at work, and your boss 
is a hard woman or a hard man before you protest, before you schedule a meeting with your boss or your boss's boss, ask yourself an important question. How much have I prayed about my boss and my workplace and my attitude? See, as important as it is to seek to resolve issues, when we take matters into our own hands, things usually go bad, especially if it's with your boss or your boss's boss. But if you pray first and you say, Lord, would you help my boss to become a person who shows me respect and shows the rest of those under his supervision respect? Would you more importantly bring my boss to faith in Jesus Christ if he or she hasn't trusted in you? Would you allow me to have an attitude toward my boss that is humble, respectful, and gracious? Those concerns that I have, those grievances in my workplace, could you resolve some of those, not just for my family and me, but for everyone who works for this company? What if you prayed these things on a daily basis and you said, I want to see what God can do before I take matters into my own hands? I know in my own life, when I take matters into my own hands, things usually don't go well. So why don't we put them in God's hands where they belong in the first place and ask God to do what only He can do? I challenge you this week. Begin praying daily for your boss, your co-workers, and for your employers. So Paul has said, character quality number one, we are to be compliant. The second character quality that Paul shares is we are to be pleasing. We're to be pleasing. In verse 9, he says, ultimately, urge, exhort, teach bond slaves, employees, to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing. Now, at first blush, you think, well, this is talking about the fact that I need to be pleasing towards my boss. I need to kiss up. I need to please and impress my boss. I need to go the extra mile. I need to take initiative. I need to know what she wants or what he needs even before they are thinking thoughts of such. There's some truth in this short, the kissing up part. But here's something we need to understand. We can't ever assume we know what a term means. The term translated well-pleasing is used by the Apostle Paul seven other times in the New Testament. Every time Paul uses it, it's used of pleasing God. This is the only case where the term is perhaps used of a human being. I actually think Paul goes eight for eight. I think in order to be well-pleasing to our employer, we must first be well-pleasing to God. And if we're well-pleasing to God, He will throw in, frequently, being well-pleasing to our employer. Now, let's go even further. Let's try to trace this root word, pleasing, throughout the Bible. 
I've never done this before, and I found so much benefit from this study. Going back to Genesis 5 in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, our man Enoch is called pleasing. We read it in Genesis as he walked with God. But in the Septuagint, in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is also written in, it is he was pleasing, which really is quite similar to walking with God. Enoch pleased God in his life to such a degree that Genesis says in Genesis 5.24, and God took him. Wow! Don't you love that? I mean, can you imagine your life being so pleasing to God that he raptures you? He takes you home early because as Hebrews 11 would say, the world was not worthy of you. That's what we all want. Preach God's word through your work. Who knows what you might experience? Joseph, in Genesis chapter 39, the very same word is used of him. He was so well-pleasing to Potiphar, he began to make his way up through the ranks to, before you know it, he's second in command over Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. If you trace this concept, it starts in Genesis. This Greek term goes all the way through 1 John, one of the last books of the New Testament. And the exhortation is always this. We are to be pleasing to God the Father or pleasing to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapters 11 and 13 even say that our deeds, our works, including our works at work, are pleasing to God. They are worship. Lastly, and I love this, John chapter 8 verse 29 the apostle, the beloved disciple, says about Jesus, he pleased his father in everything that he did during his earthly ministry. That included his work. He worked as a carpenter for 30 years before his public ministry of three and a half years. Work is worship. That's the theme of this series. Paul is saying here, we can actually preach God's Word through our work. We can be pleasing to our employer. Now, how can we ensure this come tomorrow morning? Especially if our situation is difficult. Well, we need to lock this in. We focus on the Lord. It sounds like a Christian cliche, but it's true. I don't know about you, but my family and I love watching movies and television shows with trained animals, particularly dogs, because as we discuss in Ecclesiastes, dogs are the best animal, right? <laughs> we love dogs in our family, and we're intrigued by watching a well-trained dog. We've watched a Canadian television show recently called Hudson and Rex. Hudson is a detective. His partner, Rex, is a German shepherd. And Rex is amazing. My wife, Lori, and my daughter, Jenna, give me a hard time because whenever I see Rex make an expression or do a trick, 
I'm like astounded. I, I'm so impressed with him, I back up the show. I mean, we can hardly get through the show. I just, I have to back it up. I have to see this one more time because Rex is the star. Well, it looks like Hudson, the leading actor, is directing Rex to do everything that he does. But you know better, don't you? He's not. Rex's owner is outside of the camera and he is directing and leading Rex. Most likely, he's also rewarding Rex when he obeys with a treat. The truth is, in these movies and in these television shows, the animal is fixated on the owner, the trainer. It appears that the animal is focused on obeying the lead actress or actor. See, in our work worlds, those that haven't trusted in Christ, there is only that horizontal motivation or inspiration. A boss. In the Christian life, yes, there are earthly employers, but there is a heavenly master. And we do what we do to honor that heavenly master who is not seen and it appears that we're actually obeying and honoring our earthly boss. And what's incredible is one day the Lord Jesus Christ will reward us for how we interact with our earthly boss. Preach God's word through your work. That's what Paul is challenging us to do today. So we've seen two character qualities. We are to be compliant and we are to be pleasing. Now we'll see a third character quality, and that is we're to be peaceable. Paul says not only are we to be well-pleasing, we are not to be argumentative. Now being argumentative is so easy, isn't it? I mean, if you disrespect me, my temptation is to disrespect you. If you don't treat me the way I want to be treated, I'm going to be tempted to respond in kind. We can be quite argumentative. The challenge is, this does not honor the Lord. The Lord wants us to be gentle. He wants us to be respectful. He wants our words to be seasoned with all kinds of grace. But here's a tension. And I want to speak to this tension, but I want to speak very carefully to it. So please don't take me out of context. Ask how this is relevant and applicable to your work world. Many of you, if not over half of you, are in the tech world. You're educated. You're experienced. You're gifted. Your boss is not looking for you to be like, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I'll do it, boss. Now, that's not to say they don't frequently love that. But you were hired to, at times, push back. And to say, boss, would you be open to a different idea? I have a suggestion that may have some merit. But if you don't think so, just discard it. Pretend I didn't even mention anything. You're actually paid because you're a valuable collaborator and contributor. 
So the question we need to ask is, how can we not be argumentative, but at times argue? There's a distinction here. Argue gently, humbly, and respectfully. And argue with open hands where we say, boss, you have the final word. But I know you want me to think outside the box. I know you want me to perhaps even push the envelope. And whatever you decide, I'll step back and I'll let you obviously make the final decision. We need to be willing to argue at various times, but do so with a Christ-honoring posture. Preach God's word through your work. Now, what does this look like practically? First of all, don't use but language. When your boss confronts you or reprimands you, you immediately say, but if you're justifying your behavior, you're excusing your lack of performance. When your boss confronts you, take it on the chin particularly when it's an appropriate reprimand or rebuke. This is so incredibly important. Just own it. I want you to stop and imagine, what if your boss said behind the scenes to the management, you know, I know that this employee is a believer in Jesus, but I've never once heard her or him apologize for anything. And I can tell you this, they've been at fault for all kinds of things. They arrive at work late. Their performance has been subpar. They've gotten into unhealthy debates and arguments with coworkers. And they haven't always respected my authority. But I haven't heard them once apologize. Not, not once. Ask yourself this. Is that preaching God's word through your work? Will you have a platform to be a witness if that's your posture? I think we know the answer. Some of your heads are down right now and you're not praying. You know we've all been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. I had to apologize for something this morning to our tech team. I dropped the ball. It was my fault that something went terribly wrong for a service. And I'm not going to blame anyone. I'm going to own it. Now, that doesn't make me the hero. That makes me the goat. But when you're the goat, own it, no matter who you are. Secondly, stop whining. Stop whining. We often are all about whining when we should be about worshiping. If work is worship, but we do more whining than worshiping, something's gone amiss. When we talk smack about our boss, and we say, my boss just doesn't respect me, and we're thinking to ourselves, I could do my, his job or her job so much better. In fact, I could do my boss's job and my job at the same time. And our place of employment. They don't have a Cadillac insurance package. It's more like a Hyundai. I mean, they don't take care of their employees. 
They're not showing the honor that they need to show. If we start complaining and whining, we lose our witness. So stop whining and ultimately stop using but language with excuses and justifications. Instead, preach God's word through your work. Let's look at a third or actually a fourth character quality. We're going to move into verse 10 now. Paul is challenging us and urging us to ultimately be compliant, to be pleasing, to be peaceable. But notice, he wants us to be honest. He says, not pilfering. Not pilfering, verse 10. What in the world is pilfering? I actually like the King James Version even more. Not purloining. I mean, for those of you who are cat lovers, and I found out some of you really love cats because you bash some of my comments on cats in preference to dogs. Purloining. Purloining. I mean, what in the world does that mean? That is a hilarious word to me. I mean, it sounds like sirloin. Purloin. Sirloin is a cut of steak. I mean, we love sirloin, but purloin and purloining, who knows? Well, if we go back and look into the word, it simply means to steal and to hold back, to keep back. And so throughout the New Testament, there are all kinds of challenging words on not stealing. Ephesians 4, 28 is a great example. There are verses that Paul writes and other biblical writers pen that have to do with stealing from others and stealing from our employer. Now, the truth is this word is used one other time in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, the husband and wife team of Ananias and Sapphira. In the early church, this couple sold a piece of land and they gave the impression that they were giving all the proceeds from that land to the Lord and to the early church. But they held back a portion for themselves. They sought to give the impression that they were honoring the Lord, but they were really stealing from Him and holding back, keeping back a portion for themselves. What happened? The Lord snuffed them. I mean, He took them out. In other words, He killed them. Apparently, God takes stealing dead serious. Pun intended. It is serious when we steal. Steal is not just a first century problem, it's a 21st century problem. We say things like, well, my employer won't miss this, whatever it is that we're stealing. Or, I should be paid far more than I am. So this is just my way of taking what is mine. We have all kinds of excuses and justifications, but the scriptures would say stealing is never permitted. And this is a serious issue. Research shows U.S. Department of Commerce that stealing just in America within the business world is 
greater than $50 billion. That 75% of employees steal at one point or another in their career. And half of those steal over and over and over. Did you know that supposedly a third of businesses that fail, fail because of employee theft? It is a serious problem. And it's even worse when Christians do it. Well, I mean, we understand embezzling and stealing company work supplies. But I think for many of us, the stealing is a stealing of work time. In other words, we're paid to do a job, but we choose to use work time for our own selfish pleasure. Have any of you ever heard of the boss button? Oh, good. Don't raise your hand if you have. The boss button is a keyboard programmed where a, a keyboard key that you can program where you can watch almost anything you want. And then when your boss comes by with the click of a finger, your screen goes back to like an Excel spreadsheet. Now, ever since 2005, the boss button has been used by the actual website for the NCAA men's basketball tournament known as March Madness. You can be watching a game at work, and then with a click, when your boss comes by, he thinks you've been working all that time. How do I know about this? Don't you worry about it. I have never used the boss button. Well, almost. Never. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sort of. Sort of. I can tell you this. Paul does not condone the boss button. He doesn't want us stealing from our employer in any way, shape, or form. Even if that stealing is a person's character or credibility through our words that we will detract from someone. Stealing is never acceptable, particularly for the Christian. So Paul is clear. We need to be honest as employees and as employers. Now he gives a fifth and final character quality that will help us preach God's word through our work. In verse 10, he says that we're to be about faithfulness. We're to be faithful. He puts it like this, but showing all good faith. And yet scholars are in agreement that this noun should be translated as faithfulness or trustworthiness or even loyalty. I love the translation loyalty, but no one uses it anymore. It used to be that athletes were loyal to their teams. Not anymore used to be that employees were loyal to the first employer that hired them. It used to be that volunteers were loyal to their churches, but this hasn't always been the case, particularly in recent times. But let's go back to our first sermon in this series. We are free, voluntary agents 
when a job is not the right fit, when it's difficult to such a degree that it's especially difficult to honor Christ, when the Lord may be calling us to something different, or perhaps even in a different part of the country or the world, we are free in Christ. So don't hear me say once again, too bad, so sad, suck it up, buttercup. You just need to stay put. You need to bloom where you're planted. No, we don't use those cliches here. We simply say, as long as you're employed, be faithful, be trustworthy, be loyal. So those are the five character qualities. Now we see the purpose in actually exhibiting these character qualities. Verse 10 says, so that, there's the purpose, so that they, bond servants, employees, will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. First century slaves, with little or no freedom, under the authority of a master, Paul says they can adorn, they can beautify their place of work. Again, if that was true in the first century of slaves, how much more so is that true of those of us who work at Amazon and Microsoft and throughout the community? We can make a difference. The Greek term behind adorn is the word cosmeo. Now, I usually never talk about Hebrew and Greek in my preaching. I make exceptions when I want to lock something into the coconut. When I want you to remember something that I think you'll remember through the use of Hebrew and Greek, I do it. Cosmeo was used in ancient Greece of presenting jewelry in such a way to enhance its luster. So imagine that the gospel is a jewel and you and I are the setting. At work, we're able to see the gospel as full of luster, or we can tarnish the gem of the gospel. God doesn't need our help. He's sovereign. The gospel doesn't need to be beautified or even propped up. But often we say, if I just had better words... If I was more eloquent, if I was more persuasive, everyone would trust in Christ. God is not looking for better words per se. He's looking for better lives. He wants our character to honor Him. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to be teachable. He wants, he wants us to be gracious. And to the degree that we are, we show His gospel for the beautiful good news that it is. Now, this term, cosmeo, the root word gives us our English word, cosmetics. Ultimately, cosmetics are used to enhance what is already beautiful, to set it apart, to emphasize it further. Paul wants us to take the attractiveness of the gospel. That's how the NIV and the NLT translate it. That to adorn is to make attractive. We make the gospel attractive to cynics, critics, and skeptics by how we worship God through our work. In other words, it's character. It's character. And then out of the character comes conversation. 
conversation during non-work hours about the good news of Jesus Christ. And this gives God, God our Savior. Usually it's Jesus Christ our Savior. Here is God the Father because He ordains salvation. He's sovereign over salvation. We give His teaching, His doctrine, His gospel glory through our work lives. So it's lives, then lips. Not lips, and then I'll see if I'll live out my Christianity. Our world needs some great sermons preached. But they're not going to be listening to our podcasts. They're not going to be listening to your favorite preacher on his YouTube channel. You're going to be the preachers. You are sent on mission as those in full-time Christian ministry to preach God's word through your work. A few years ago, when we were living in Spokane in our last pastorate, a gentleman called me and left a voicemail. The voicemail was one of those once-in-a-lifetime type voicemails. He said, I'd like to know how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. I'm like, yes, yes. I, I mean, I, I was so pumped. I, I couldn't wait to return this call. So I returned the call, and the gentleman on the other end went off on me. I mean, he said, when did you receive this call? And I'm like, I, I received it earlier today. And he just was livid. He was so angry, and I'm like, sir, I, I'm sorry. I'm just responding to your call and to your request. He said, that wasn't me. But I have received over a hundred calls from pastors in Idaho and Washington State. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I have a Christian friend who has all kinds of character issues. He's going through all kinds of personal challenges, and he thinks I need the Lord. So he has contacted all kinds of pastors to call me and to trouble me, and I'm not interested. There are a few more choice comments that I won't share with you. And I said, sir, I am so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. I want you to know that I'm sure your friend may have been well-meaning, but I want to apologize for how he has conducted himself. His character has not honored the Lord. I want you to know that God loves you. And I do believe that Christ died for you. And I'd love to talk to you about spiritual things at a different time, if you feel so inclined. We were able to finish the call in a relatively cordial fashion, but I will go to my grave with this conversation. Because as Christians, we're guilty of not ensuring we're people of character, but we love conversation. And yes, we should share Jesus with people, as many as possible, as frequently as possible. But the principle is this, live it. The church of Jesus Christ in America and on the east side needs to live it. We need to preach God's word 
and we can do it through our work. And if I could change something about the evangelical church right now, I would say, let's begin preaching through our lives in the workplace. Because that's where revival can truly take place. That's where we spend our time. That's where we're with unbelieving people. So let's preach it. But let's have it begin with our lives first. And then, Lord willing, others will have ears to hear and feet to respond. Let's pray together. Father, we give ourselves to you. We simply say we want to adorn the good news of Jesus through our work. We want to worship you, and we want to do so through our character and through our conduct. And Lord, we pray as a result of how we live out the good news of Jesus, the conversation is readily received. Even though the gospel is offensive, may our lives not be offensive. That's our simple prayer, Lord. May Crossroads Bible Church be a church that represents Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. Today, if you're watching online or if you're here and there is a lack of certainty about where you're going to spend eternity, you don't have assurance of your salvation. It comes down to this. You and I have sinned. We need a Savior. The Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. He worked on our behalf. He lived a perfect life for 33 years. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And he simply says, when it comes to a relationship with the God of the universe, stop working. And let Jesus Christ work. Stand. And then stand in it. Place your confidence in the work of Jesus. Rest in his person and his work. And you can have eternal life. And then preach the gospel to yourself every day so that you will be attractive and you will adorn the good news of Jesus in the workplace. Father, we give you praise that you use us despite our foibles, despite our failures. You are faithful even when we are faithless. We ask your forgiveness for how we've at times conducted ourselves at work. And we're asking for you to help us to preach your word through our lives and through our lips beginning tomorrow. For your honor and glory, in Jesus' name, amen.